heaven and maybe you've had this experience yourself. I had this experience recently. It's not uncommon. Um, I have a a propensity or, or, or a leaning into the moment when I see somebody pulled over next to the road and they're Maybe it's dark out already, and they're here in, in our community, and you see they got their little light on, and they're staring at something. You know, you just know they they have no clue where they're at. I mean, they got that far, but they're looking for some rental cabin that's probably on the backside of Moon Ridge, <laughs> and it's going to take them another three hours without help. And I have this thing in me that I always want to stop and just tap on the window and say, you know, I could probably save you a little time. I could, I'd even get my car and show you how to get there. I've done it lots of times. Um, it's a little different after dark anymore, though. You know, you knock on the window of somebody's car, and they're under the light, and, you know, they get that look like, yeah. <laughs> not only are we lost, but now we're going to get mugged. And <clears throat> Recently, there was a, 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 you know, a small carload of people that had, they just kind of looked worn out and from trying, and they the window down and said, can you, can you help us? We've just been all over the place looking for this, trying to get to this and this address. And I looked at the address and I smiled into the car and I thought, you know, you're really close. <laughs> you're doing a great job. That's me. I'm the encourager. <laughs> you know, it could have been in San Diego and I'd have made them feel good about where they were. <laughs> but I said, you know, really, look, you just look out your window. It's right there. <laughs> I mean, you're almost within a block. And, but they had come to the end of their trying, and they were just frustrated. And I don't know why they couldn't see that last block, but they just couldn't get it. Fortunately, they asked somebody who lived nearby and could just say, look, it's right there. You can almost feel the oppression leave the car. You feel this oh, air coming out the windows kind of, oh, like, Eureka. We found it. And that, that happens in this passage we're looking at today. That kind of anybody ever had that experience? You're that close and it's right there. I had the picture in my mind of a person in New York City and you know, down on Manhattan. Anybody ever been there? I mean, it is just a bit, millions of people living on an island. And some people never leave there. They live on their little island, they never go outside of it. And and the idea of stopping somebody on the street to ask for information is really a bizarre concept because they're walking on the street is very much like you and I driving on the freeway. Now, there's no parking. There's no cars. They, they walk everywhere. So when they're walking on the sidewalk, they're, they're like in the fast lane going wherever they're going. If you just jump into traffic and say, could you help me find something, you're probably not going to get any help. And they're like, hey, pff, yeah, I'm, I'm moving. You know, I'm going somewhere. And uh, so you almost have to go into a building where everything's already stopped and people have arrived at their destination and say, I'm trying to find mine. Could you help me? And they'll help you. Otherwise, you're just probably without any help. <laughs> Mark chapter 11, verse 27. Then they came again to Jerusalem. And as he, capital H, who are we talking about? You think, I know you're in church. Go ahead and guess. It's Jesus, don't you think? <laughs> and he was... And he, as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, scribes, and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do these things? 
We're going to go further. We're actually going to make it all the way into chapter 12 and probably most of the way through that chapter also. But let me just stop us right here and say, get the setting. We're in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, according to the Bible, is the geographic center of the world. You ever thought about it? We live here, so we think America. All our maps, you put a map up on the wall, the United States of America is in the middle, everything goes around it. When I was in Moscow, I was surprised when we went into some of the leaders. I mean, these were political leaders. We were in the administrators of the country, uh, Secretary of, of Education's office, okay? And we walk in, and behind his desk is a map of the world. Well, the CIS is in the middle. We're off to one side. And it was kind of a revelation, like, gee, I guess we're not the center of the world everywhere. <laughs> uh, you know, where you live is kind of the center of your world. and But according to the Bible, Israel has always been the center focal point of God's world, right? It's his chosen people, the chosen nation, all that. And Jerusalem has always been known as the city of God. And they're still fighting over it, right? The major religions are over there fighting over the Temple Mount. and So it's still the central focal point of religious center of the world, okay? And Jesus is walking in it. Jesus is there. The creator of all of it is standing in the middle of all of it. And who's talking to him in this setting? The chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. Now, this is the cream of the crop religious leadership of the world, in the center of the world, in the city of God, in the center of point of all history. These are the guys that are supposed to know how things work. Are you with me? These are the people that are directing traffic on the religious sentiment of the entire world if they were taken to that degree. And they're talking to their own creator and the one whom they profess to believe in. And they're questioning him. Who gives you this authority? Who gives you the right to teach these things and do the things that you do because it's above us? And they're trying to grasp at their own leadership. And they don't recognize the one they've been looking for for centuries. And Jesus answered and says to them, I'll ask you one question, then you answer me, and I'll, I'll tell you by what authority I, I, I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? Answer me. They reasoned among themselves, saying, well, if we say it's from heaven, he'll say, why didn't we believe him? If we say it's from men, they feared the people, for all counted uh, John to have been a prophet indeed. So they answered and said, well, we don't know. Try to take the easy way out. Well, we don't know. And Jesus answered to them, said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority. I do these things. Jesus was the master of questions. Mm -hmm. Answering the question with a question. Then he, he begins this parable. We're not going to read the whole parable, but if you take time later, you can read that in chapter 12, this first parable. What I want you to see is at the end in verse 12 of chapter 12, they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude. For they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Remind ourselves, who left and went away? Chief priests, 
scribes, and the elders, the religious leaders of the day who wanted to confront Jesus, lay hands on him, and do, they wanted to do something with him, but not what he wanted them to do with him. They wanted to do something with him to get him out of the way and challenge his authority. They couldn't do it. And then he teaches a parable about them in front of them and in front of the other people. And they know he's got them right where he wants them. That's a difficult scenario, isn't it? Verse 13. Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. Who are the Pharisees? Paul the Apostle said about himself that he was a Pharisee, that he was a keeper of the law. The Pharisees were the, the, uh, those, that sect of believers of, of the uh, Jewish people that followed the law meticulously. And they also adopted then the verbal transmissions of the leaders and the other rabbis down through time, and they had added laws upon laws upon laws. You want to hear one? This one, this just cracked me up. One of their verbal oral traditions, we talked about traditions two weeks ago and what we believe by oral transmission, by the telling of stories to one to another. They taught not, do not spit in the sand on the Sabbath. Here's why. It would be considered plowing a furrow and therefore work. And you cannot work on the Sabbath. I'll tell you, if I were following the law as a Pharisee, I think I would just sort of hang myself into a closet and never go out. Because there's no way you can keep these things in any sort of religious concern. So these are the guys that had, uh, you know, made the the rules and uh, kept them, you know, wore the phylacteries on their wrists and on their foreheads and the long garments and the curlicues and the whole deal. I mean, these were the perfect ones. So let's send the Pharisees in to challenge Jesus now. And let's send along some Herodians. Now, Herodians are those that obviously connected to Herod. What they were, they were Jews that had come into alliance with the Roman government. They were kind of in the middle. They were sort of like uh, the tax collectors. The tax collectors were Jews who were hired by the Romans to stand between the Romans and the Jews and to collect taxes from the Jews and give it to the Romans. Which is why they were rich, you know, guys like Matthew, the disciple of Jesus. Because the Romans would say, collect 5%. And they'd say, okay. And they'd go over here and say, i got to get 7%. <laughs> they'd collect 7, keep 2, give 5. <laughs> Nobody trusted them. The Romans didn't trust them. The Jews didn't trust them. They were an island to themselves. But they were wealthy. The Herodians were that group of, believe, of, of Jews that had taken on an admiration and an affinity with the Roman government. Let's send them in now. When they had come, in verse 14, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you're true and you care about no one, or you, just, you don't have high regard for anybody against yourself. Uh, you don't regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? We're not. Well, this is another one of those questions that gets a question kind of thing back. Uh, they were trying to ensnare Jesus because if he, they knew if to, to be honoring God, he would not be able to put Caesar first. And so he would have to dishonor God, and then they would trap him in that. 
if he said pay taxes to Caesar. If he said don't pay taxes to Caesar, then they could get the Roman government on him and get him hauled off. So they try to pinch him in the middle. What do you say, Jesus? Do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Guys, do you ever read these and wonder how it's going to come out? You know, I, I confess, I'm the guy that's watched Apollo 13 probably 50 times. I love that show. And I always wonder if they're going to make it back. <laughs> I'm a guy, I confess. You know, kind of compartmentalized. I say, somebody walks in the room right when the, the exciting part, you know, they're coming through the blackout thing. And somebody walks in the room and says, hey, uh, I say, oh, no, 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 not now. I got to see how this comes out. Uh, they made it every, 49 times, they made it, but this time. Maybe they're not going to make it. <laughs> Jesus is knowing their hypocrisy. He says, give me a coin. Whose inscription is on it? Caesar's. He said, then I'll tell you this. Give Caesar what belongs to him. The problem is you're not giving God what belongs to him. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. And he nailed them. Right, not trapped by this wittiness of men, by even those who were the experts in the law and those who had that ambivalence between the Jewish and the Roman culture. They couldn't ensnare Jesus. So we get to verse 18. Then some Sadducees who say there's no resurrection, which is the easiest way to remember what a Sadducee is. Because that's why they're sad, you see. The Pharisees, the Pharisees, the easy way to remember them, the far I see, the far I sees believed in a resurrection that was to come. The Sadducees did not believe. So you could kind of distinguish between the two groups, the far I sees and the Sadducees. That's a simple thing. But these guys, the religious center of the world is running out of ammunition is what's happening in attacking Jesus. So now the Sadducees come. Now, this is so hypocritical that it's amazing. I'm glad it's included in the scripture because they say there's no resurrection, but their question to Jesus is all about the resurrection. There's a lesson in there somewhere. You might find it later. You know, the wife that married the seven brothers and in the resurrection, whose is she going to be? And Jesus says, you do err, E-R-R. You come to err because you don't know the scriptures. You're taking on all this instruction. You're taking on all your what's been told you from the past. You've been handed information. You've had it written down in front of you all the time, but your error is that you don't know what it really says. That's where you're making your mistake. <coughs> You know, in the resurrection, they're not going to marry or be given and married. They're going to be, Jesus actually uses the terminology, says they're going to be like angels. And then Bev will actually come into her own. <laughs> and while well, I'm not going to go off teaching a, a tangent on eschatology or last days or the resurrection, it's just that Jesus answered in verse 24, Are you not therefore mistaken because you don't know the Scriptures nor the power of God? Here's your problem. 
okay, you know, at the end of your day, how's it go? Can you imagine yourself at the beginning of the day? Here comes the religious leaders of your time. Here come the religious uh, perfect ones asking you these questions. And you defeat them, you defeat this group, you scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians and the elders, my goodness, the leaders. You know, coming to the end of your day. Man, how many more people are there that want to do this? Verse 28, this is where the picture turns. And this is what I want us to see. The other is historical evidence, if you will, of what Jesus had gone through in his conversations. Then one of the scribes came. Um, the scribes were those that, you know, were dutifully reproducing the law, writing things and keeping track of the word of God. Here comes a guy that handles the word of God. He actually can write it out for the other person. He can make you a copy, if you want, of the Torah, maybe, you know, the scrolls. So he handles the Word of God. And he's been kind of hearing about this all day. This is the world he lives in, the elders and the, the other scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the leadership. has all been around this Jesus guy all day and been kind of hearing his answers. He comes, and having heard them reasoning together, Perceiving that Jesus had answered them well, he asks his question. This is so important. His question, which is the first commandment of all? What is the foremost? What is the most important, as it says in Matthew? Here's a guy that's got his wits about him. I've handled this word. I've written it. I've handed it to others. I've taken care of it. I'm a scribe. I just watched this guy take out the elders, the Pharisees, the Herodians, the other scribes in my group, and the Sadducees. He answered them all really well, and it's ringing true in me that this guy's the real deal. So let's get right to the heart of the matter. What is the most important thing? You ever wondered that in your own life? What is the most important thing? What should be the foremost part of who I am? Why am I here? The big questions of life. How did I get here? Why am I here? What's my life about? Where am I going? Who put me here? Am I just the chance of some explosion that someone, you know, go into the creation theories and things, and uh, the agnostics and the atheists, atheists, do they have it right? No, they don't. <laughs> you know, it's like the shirt that says God doesn't believe in atheists. You'll get that on the way home. <laughs> what is the foremost commandment of all the things that I've handled all my, maybe my adult life in writing and doing these things? And Jesus answers him. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. This is the foremost. It's not numerically driven. It's not the first of the ten, necessarily, right? It's not the first of the 365 other laws of the Old Testament. 
nor is it like the thousands of don't spit in the sand oral tradition commandments. He's just saying this is the foremost. Pile them all up. This one sits above every one of them. You got to love God. You have to love the one who made you. With everything you've got, love him back because he loves you. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now ready? Hold on. Get your seatbelt on there. And listen to the words of Jesus in this last sentence. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher. Now remember, this guy's not hostile. The rest of them were all hostile, right? They're all trying to trick Jesus or fool him or trap him or get him arrested or beaten or hauled off or something. This guy, after all of that, stands up and he's clearing the deck saying, you know, the rest of you guys had your day. I want to find out what he really wants to tell us. And he gets this answer. And he can absolutely resonate in his spirit, man. That sure rings true with me of everything I've ever seen in here. Well said, teacher. You know, there's something that chokes in me when I say this and I read this passage, probably because I'm a sissy, but not entirely. There's something that's like, have you ever finally gotten the answer to your question? And you you kind of go, I got it. Maybe for some of you it's that dollar machine trying to get the little puppet or something. (laughs) I don't know. But for me, I, I see a man who has spent his life in the scriptures all the time, still not having the answer to the quest of his heart, which one's the most important? Of all these things that we're writing and reading and studying and hearing at the synagogue all the time, and the the elders have a view and the scribes have a view and the Pharisees teach their part and the Sadducees are always yelling about their thing and, and everybody's got their own deal going on. But what's the real thing? And he's standing face to face with the author, not only of the book, but of all creation. And he asked the right question. Wow. For us. Jesus says, there's nothing. There are no other commandments anywhere greater than these. Now, we're not going to throw the rest of the book away because of that, right? It's not our goal this morning. You have spoken the truth. For there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, here's a guy that wrote all the detail about those sacrifices, and he knew about them. He knew which ones were heave offerings and which ones were wave offerings, which ones were grain offerings and how much to have. And he knew this stuff. He's a scribe. He says, those things you just said, greater than all that. And all of that was pleasing to God. If a person would keep the law, under the law, under the law of Moses and during that time, if they would do all those things, they saw that as pleasing God. He says, above all of that, these two things are truth. To just be in love with God. Not trying to keep all this stuff. Not trying to 
manufacture a religion made by man or a list of circumstances that if I fulfill, I could feel better about going to sleep at night. It's about knowing him. You've answered right, teacher. Now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you ready? Jesus leaned down into his car window to this man who was frustrated in his quest and his journey, trying to figure out where's the end of this thing and what's most meaningful. And Jesus leaned down to his window and said, you know, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're almost there. What a joy this must have been to Jesus. Finally get somebody in his day who really wanted an answer. And he knew that if he handed it to him, the man would breathe a sigh of relief. His car would breathe a sigh of relief and say, we're almost there. Quest is just ahead of us. After that, no one dared question him. (laughs) I like that part. You know, having a complex religion and and a devotion based on man's ideas about God doesn't lead us to intimacy with him. It, It ensnares us, it traps us in doing and trying and failing and trying again, failing, trying again. Simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work at the cross supersedes all of this regulations that are put together by some religious council. Even denominations, come on, have been guilty of this. Christian groups can be guilty of this, of of setting up new laws and structures and rules and regulations. Don't spit in the sand on the Sabbath lest you plow a furrow and you've been working. Now, I know that in this room, and I wouldn't embarrass anybody personally, but you know I'm talking about your life. You grew up where if you were dancing, you were sinning, right? And I think it was that generation that said, you know, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't run around with the girls that do. You know, there were just, if you wanted to be a member of the church or the denomination or the group, it was this list, things you cannot do. This scribe walks into the same scenario and says, the simple question, flip it around. Let's ask this question, what can we do? See, the what can't you do is always how close to the edge can I get before I'm really in trouble? That's the question we're asking. How close to to sin can I get before I break the law? Human nature wants to know that. This scribe had already had enough of it. He said, man, there are laws on every side of me. I write them. They got more. When I run out of writing, they tell me more. They give me verbal ones. Don't spit in the sand. Don't lift. Don't sneeze probably is in there somewhere. Can you imagine that? If I have a poor sneeze on the Sabbath. <laughs> For some reason, because now I'd have to lift a hanky or something. I, 
You know, it's just so ensnaring when man gets involved. And Jesus comes and breathes this sigh of relief. He says, why don't you just do this? <laughs> you want something to do? How about loving God with all your heart, with all your soul? And if you don't know the difference, the heart in the Bible is talked about, uh, I like this, as I show off my Greek, is the splankna. Now we can forget that. It means the very core of your being. We would refer to it as the autonomic center of your nervous system. It's the you of you. It's what makes you do what you do. That's your heart, not the pump. The center of your being, your spiritual person, the born-again part of you that is made in the image of God. Love God with all of that. The soul. We define the soul simply as the mind, the will, and the emotions. That's how the Bible declares how I think, what's my volition, what, what my will, my purpose. My, I will purpose to do things, my volition I'm going to do, and my emotions. And I like the book that was titled, Emotions, Can You Trust Them? And you can't always trust your emotions, can you? Because there are those days when you wake up or you live out your day and you're going to bed and you really think emotionally that God doesn't love you. Have you been there? You think there's no way he could love me after this day. And yet your emotions are wrong. Because Jesus already declared a couple thousand years ahead of your thought, I'll never leave you. We heard it this morning here. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm not going anywhere except I go with you. Love God with all your heart, the center of your being, with all your soul, your mind, your will, emotions. Bring them under to him. All your strength. That's the physical body. Bring my body into the act. And then take all of that you get out of that relationship with him. And then love your neighbor. Just like you love you. What a proper motivation for being alive. What an answer from the breath of Jesus to set us free from everything we could construct to try and make God happy. And it's going on all over the world. And I, I, this is a simple message this morning. What do you say? Kind of simple? Maybe that's as deep as I can get after all I've been through in the last 30 days. <laughs> and in fact, that's my conclusion. You've all heard of the KISS principle, haven't you? I'll just use the first S. Keep it simple. Some, you know, put the other S on and says, keep it simple. Stupid. <laughs> but, but if it takes being stupid to be simple, well, then I'll be a simpleton. Let's keep it simple. Now, let, let me kind of bring, I'm not going to try and defeat my own message here, but after you keep it simple and you're in this intimacy with God, you have a relationship. You really start loving your neighbors like yourself. And, and uh, I know your mind's flashing to where you live and the people on the left and right. You're already kind of hindered by the thought. <laughs> You're going, oh, not. Can we start on your block? Not mine? Okay, let's not. You got to go get the, t the teaching of Jesus on who's my neighbor. Okay, read that. It's not necessarily geography, okay? It's. Jesus, that's a great parable too because Jesus gets all the way to the end. The guy says, who's my neighbor? Because he, what he's wanting to do is draw a circle and only have to love the people inside his circle. 
Jesus breaks the circle open and says, who is neighbor to the one in need? He just turns the question around. It's great. Jesus, the master teacher, doesn't let you get the answer you're looking for. He gives you the one you need. So who is neighbor to the one who's in need? That's how we answer the question. Oh, I get it. You've got to love everybody the way God loves them. That sounds like a pretty good life to me. Sounds like a little more carefree. And I know that after we've developed that foundational relationship with Christ, that we will now begin to build good thinking good doctrine, what we would refer to as a biblical worldview. The teachings of the Bible have to be in our lives. We do need to understand them. We need to understand the basics and how it works. Uh, I was actually very, I share this person, was very disappointed to learn that um, the wife part of a marriage that used to be in this congregation and at one time, we're moving toward wanting to be elders in the church. And by her own testimony today, says, I don't believe in eternal hell. She's actually willing to, propan- uh, to profess the things that she no longer believes in. And I think, boy, I just was hurt inside. Personally, I thought we missed it there. Here's a person that was aspiring to leadership in the body of Christ, now doesn't even believe in the body of Christ the way the Bible teaches it. So we can't just have a loosey-goosey, lovey God relationship, love my neighbors myself, and not have any foundational truth. We have to come back to this. And we do need to build right doctrine. Paul encouraged Timothy, hey, know the doctrines. Give yourself wholly to them. Give yourself entirely to the learning of the proper uh, discerning of the Scriptures. By doing this, you'll save yourself and those that listen to you. Come on, Timothy, you're going to be a good pastor. Pastor, some estimates of the church in Ephesus where he was a pastor over 30,000 people in the early days of the church, first century. Paul says, hey, Timothy, come on, you've got to pay attention to what the Bible says. And by then, remember two weeks ago, we were talking about the oral traditions of the apostles. That's about all they had to go with. It wasn't written down yet. First thing being written about in 49, 50 A.D., And so they didn't have this collection of New Testament body of scriptures that we use. So they had to go by what the apostles' teachings were. And they they saw those as the cornerstone of their faith. And they knew that Jesus was the only foundation that could be laid. And then everybody that built on top of that had to build true. Paul the apostle said, hey, I'm a wise master builder. I build on the foundation. There's only one foundation, Jesus. But I'm, I'm being wise in the way I build. And I'm telling you, follow what I'm telling you. And got it straight from him. And then later we have it written down and we can live by this. So we have to know what it says. We can't just have this, you know, come see, come saw, love Jesus today, maybe a little more than yesterday, maybe not as much as tomorrow kind of thing. Right? Okay. But we don't want to foul it up either by building or allowing others to build on us Hand to us, you must do. You have to. You better. How about you failed? And Hey, if we get back to that, I lose. Immediately, I'm done. I can't do it. I've accepted this truth of the Bible that says I'm a loser. I was born in sin. I was shaped in iniquity. The only thing 
conversation I had yesterday, the only thing I deserve, according to this book, is to die. That's all I deserve. Say, hey, well, I deserve better. No, the Bible says you just deserve to die. You're a sinner. You're an enemy of God without Christ. And if you don't have him as your Savior, then there's no, there's nothing you get. Nothing. There is an eternal hell. That you will get. And Jesus enters the scene and says, the hell was not built for you. It was built for fallen angels. It was a, it's a place for them to go. It's not for men, women, and children. I'm coming so that you can have life and have it to the full. I'm coming and paling myself. I'm volunteering to die in your place. I'm going to the cross so that you can be friends with the Father again. Your sin no longer has to separate you from the very relationship you need most. Don't cloud it with rules and stuff. Yesterday, knock at our door. Being the man of the house, I let Peggy answer the door. (laughs) Chicken. And so she opens the door to about a 10-year-old. And he says to her, I'm hearing this through the screen. Can I read to you a passage of Scripture? I got excited, momentarily excited, because I actually grew up in that event. And so I knew who it was. It was Jehovah's Witnesses. And I knew who I couldn't see was the trainer guy on the other side, you know. And this little guy stumbled through First Timothy chapter 3. In the last days, perilous times will come, and men will be lovers of treasure and lovers of God, not lovers of God, lovers of self. lovers. Of, and, and he wanted to convince us that, he couldn't even pronounce most of the words. But he got his way through it, and Peggy was very patient, and I was praying, and I thought, this little guy is 10. He's already at my door. He's trying to read Scripture to me, and it's all I can do not launch out of my chair and go over and save the guy, you know, because I see me there. Grew up with the Job Witt. And I thought, oh, already they're indoctrinating the rules. Did you know that if you slam a door in the face of a Jehovah's Witness, they get points for that, man. So when if you don't like them, you just go, oh, hey, points, boom. No, it's not our role. Come on, I'm just joking around. Talking about my past here. It's okay if you don't like them. That helps, actually. It's you know earning a better future for them. Because their religion, the code of men that have been written around this, this. It actually made the comment in the door yesterday. We only believe the Bible. I thought, ooh, that hurts. Because I was thinking about my friend who said, I only believe the Bible, but there's no eternal hell. It's not what this is. It's not what it says. It's there. Their worm never dies. The flames never go out. The pain never ends. It's real. So let's go this week and see if we can't keep it simple. Let's see if we can't just love God with all of our heart. And if we take all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, right? Everything about us is loving God. The rest ought to get pretty simple, right? I mean, you'd be like the officer in, in Tammy's case there. You just do the right thing. The girl doesn't know how to change a flat. I do. I'm here. I guess it's my turn. Let's change the flat. You know, he's probably not worried about missing a birthday party or something. He's going to get the right thing done in the right moment, at the right time, because the motivation comes from loving God and loving 
your neighbor as yourself. Anybody here want to live like this? Want to try it? Nobody. I'm, I'm not convinced anyone this morning. Okay, let's keep this on the record. On 10, 10, 10, I failed to convince anyone to live for Jesus. It's a trick question. Let me answer your question with a question. (laughs) Father, you made it easy so guys like me could get in. I know that's got to be the case. Father, I would ask you to forgive me as an individual and also forgive me at another level as one of the religious leaders of the day for making it more complex than it should be. You're trying to take Judaism and lay it over the top of Christianity and say, here's the do's and don'ts of our religion. Father, forgive me if I've done that, been a part of that. Forgive us for taking the very simple life that you gave us and fouling it up, making it complex. And lead us again into this abundant living. Jesus, you promised that. The Gospel of John 10.10, that if we came to you, we would have life and have it to the full. It wouldn't be something we couldn't do. It would be something we would benefit from. And not only that, but we would be able to, out of our love in relationship with you, we would be able to love others as well, even to the point of praying for our enemies and loving them. So redirect us again today. Help us to drop off the codes and the commandments that we've devised even for ourselves that say, I must do, I have to, I, I accomplish this and that and everything in one day so that God will like me. Help us to abandon those things and to be in love with you. Once again, bring us home in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Lots of places you could have been, and there are some places that others are. But not you, you're here. So uh, spread the good word. Be evangelist this week, will you? Tell somebody about Jesus. All right.